Welcome to Beauty Uncut, the podcast. I'm Shania. I'm Kayla. And I'm Ian. And we're here to bring a new perspective to beauty. Today's podcast is all about breast complications and anything else, Ian? Pretty much breast complications, which I I think we're going to have to split this into a couple of episodes, but we'll start it today. Yeah, perfect. But before we get started, I'm scared you're going to cry. I've already told Ian this. Do we have tissues? (laughs) Okay, I've got something. Why? To te- I've got something to tell you. Yeah, I'm quitting an ego. Like actually? No, like li- yeah. literally. But then you're probably going to work for the other one. Business, I'm right? Not sure yet. Wait, why? Can I say why? Yeah. Or not really. Well, Wait, actually? Serious? Say it, but have see- you given <laughs> in your resume? Okay. Yeah, I actually spoke to Ian. You We've been speaking about paper, it for a couple but- weeks about me leaving, and then at the Sydney airport, I was like. I think I've got to leave. Are you lying? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Okay, I'll tell you why. And if this part doesn't make it into the podcast, just bleep it out. <laughs> I'll just delete it. Oh, okay. But I feel like, I feel like, okay, just, I just feel like this industry is a bit too stressful for me right now. And I the thought rules you were never going to leave the industry. And regulations are just a little bit hectic and I just can't deal. We actually, we've been so busy that we haven't even really had a conversation to sit down and I haven't even told Kathleen or anyone else. Yeah. No, but you'll be looked after. Are you going to still do the other business? But I just don't know yet. Mm. We haven't had a, we haven't really sat down and spoken about it yet. I basically have to just keep starting businesses until she (laughs) finds one that she's (laughs) happy with. (laughs) Find one that I like and I'll just work in that. But until, I don't know, I just don't really know. Yeah. But I'm still doing the podcast. I just don't think I'm working at an ego. Are you going to cry? Shania Is this, get, am I being pranked? Am I being no, pranked? no. <laughs> Imagine if Shania came out and she was like, oh, I quit too. <laughs> and then I'm like kidding. No. But no, I'm actually being serious. Should we have told you, told you this offline? She's like so starstruck. I know. Yeah, I'm not Shell breathing. Shell-shocked. Shell-shocked. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I really didn't see you. Yeah. I actually was going to tell you before, but then we thought it'd be cooler to tell you on the podcast. <laughs> we've been keeping this <laughs> since I before we went to I actually can't believe, like, number one, like, I still can't believe that you'd actually leave. Mm. Like, like, I mean, I totally get it. Yeah. But I also can't believe that you kept that a secret for so long. I know, because I really wanted your live reaction on the podcast. <laughs> Do you know, I almost told you, when was it? When we were all, we were all talking together. Maybe, oh, when we were out at the front desk the other day. Yeah, I almost oh, said yeah. something about it, oh, really? and then does yeah. that, do other people know? No. I did no. tell Brie briefly, and Brie was like freaking out. Brie was like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> she was like, "Oh my god, we're gonna have to get a practice we manager." Had to pull, we had to pull Brie back from the edge. <laughs> yeah, Brie was like, "Oh my god, what are we gonna do?" Mm. But yeah, I'll tell you offline. I feel like we can't say too much. Yeah, <laughs> she still thinks she's being yeah, pumped. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, but you're not. I'm you're just not. waiting for you to be no, like, no, like I feel like if we were gonna prank you, we'd come up with something better. Okay, cool. That starts the podcast stuff really sad. (laughs) Let's go. All right. Should we, yeah, move along. Should we, so yeah, I'm possibly, probably leaving an ego. Stay tuned. (laughs) The adventures of Kayla. I like don't know how to react other than making it a joke because I feel like I make everything in my life that's sad a joke and then that's how I get everything. You're only ever going to see me on a Wednesday afternoon when we record. And when we travel. Oh, yes. We travel too much anyway. I'm probably going to, yeah. You'll probably still see. It'll you'll see her the more. Same, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we jump into breast complications? Let's do it. So I think this is a really interesting topic for a lot of different reasons. And the way I divide this up in my consults is into breast implant specific complications and general surgical complications. So I think we'll start with the breast complications, the, the implant complications, and then see how far we get. I think we'll, there's going to be a little bit of overlap. Yeah. but And then I also feel like there's patient complications as well. I don't think people realize that after surgery, there's so much that you as a patient need to do to keep your breast implants looking the best that they can. Yeah. And that'll actually relate into the complications that I'm going to talk about because they are complications, but they can be caused by patients. They can be prevented by patients as well. We'll work through everything and every aspect of them because in the consultation I don't even get enough time to really do this either we talk about them in very general 
means, but Mm -hmm. getting really into the nitty gritty, I think this is what the the podcast is good for. Yeah. All right. right. What's complication number? All right. All right. So what I always start with is capsular contracture. Right. And I ask the patients, do you know what capsular contracture is? Because I think everyone has heard of it. Uh, but no one really knows what it is. Yeah, especially if they've been doing a lot of research and talking mm. to people, they've heard this term, they don't know what it means. And so a lot of people say, oh, yeah, that's when the implants rupture. And yeah, it can lead to that, but that's not what it is. So Yeah, to be honest, I actually don't even really know what it is either because yeah, I haven't really seen – I don't even think I've seen a case I think we before. touched on it on one of the last breasts. Yeah, I, I did. Oh, I, I wasn't mentioned listening. It, yeah, in breast No, basis. but it was, it was like a touch yeah. on it. It right. wasn't really, yeah. yeah. So whenever you have a foreign object in your body, whether it's a breast implant or a chin implant, any sort of foreign object, it forms a healthy layer of scar tissue around it. And that's called the capsule. So having a capsule is not bad. That's another thing that I think people misinterpret. Mm. I think when I, when I talk about, oh, I'm going to use your capsule for this or that. And they think, oh, I have a capsule. You, everyone has a capsule and mm. it's usually healthy. When you have capsular contracture, that's when the cells of the capsule start to get thick or hard and it starts to compress on the implant. So what the patient's going to feel is a firmness to that breast. And initially in, in a mild capsular contracture, what we call a grade one, you don't have any visual change. So when they look in the mirror, everything looks the same but they're gonna feel that it's harder, one side's harder than the other. Usually capsular contracture is only unilateral. When it progresses into grade two and grade three, that's when you start to get distortion of the breast. So the capsule is squeezing that implant so hard that it's gonna pull, it might pull it into a different position. You've probably seen this. Is that when it looks like when people like go like this and they tense their muscles and like for a guy, like a guy, it's like these pecs, but on a girl, it looks like your muscle is so tight on your breast implants, almost like separating. That's animation. So that happens when you go under the muscle or dual plane. That's yeah. simply from flexion of the oh, chest. Oh, okay, yeah. And it gets worse the larger the pocket is. Right. So it doesn't really have anything to do with the capsular contracture, but sometimes the grade three capsules or grade four capsules can present like that. Yes. But, but it's like that all the time. All the time. Whereas yeah, if they, yeah, if they flex then and it does it, that's just animation. Okay. So, can I ask a question? Yeah. So about capsules, and if you want, you can cut this out, but mm. does a capsule, when does it start to form? So capsules start to form pretty much straight away. Right. I expect a visible capsule there by three months. Yeah. And I expect a capsule that I can use for reinforcement or other purposes by six months, which when- is why whenever anyone needs a revision for whatever reason, if I want to use a capsule to support the implant, I have to wait until six months. Right. Mm. And when do people start generally seeing capsular contracture if they're going to get it? So the earliest I've ever seen a capsular contracture was literally at three months in a very heavy smoker. Mm. And so that brings us to to the cause of capsular contracture, which is multifactorial, like Our everything. favorite <laughs> word. <laughs> Multimodality, multifactorial, mm. multi-everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think anyone's really decided on a singular cause, but in practice where we see it is number one, smoking. Smoking is the one thing that patients do and it's the one thing they can stop to prevent capsular contracture. Is that Does that go for all types of smoking, as in vaping, smoking weed, being around smokers, even like a social smoker who's like smoking every weekend, mm. going out clubbing? Is it everyone that smokes or is it only the people that smoke every day? Yeah, it's everyone basically in terms of the modality of smoking yes cigarettes vapes secondhand smoke all of that can affect your capsule formation whether the the frequency is going to vary based on the individual so some people can smoke every day and they're not going to have a problem some people might smoke casually or they might only smoke five a day as opposed to 20 a day and they're going to get a very aggressive capsule so it comes down to how you heal and your smoking habits but if you want to avoid it just, Just give up smoking. Don't do it. Does that include like vaping? You know how vaping isn't always nicotine. It can yeah. potentially yeah. be, what do you call it? Like I'm so not with it. Like the, the fruit. Yeah, um, like yeah. is that also something that could potentially cause it or there's not enough study yet to show? No, there's. I don't know there's been a lot of clinical studies, but we know enough about vapes that it's it's not just the nicotine that causes it. What's in the smoke that does it, it's the chemicals. Yeah. And so those vapes, even the fruit juices, it's 
there's a lot of toxic chemicals in mm-hmm. that smoke. Yeah, so. I think people get really confused and I guess me too. I don't vape, but I would think that vaping is a lot better than smoking a cigarette, but there's so many chemicals. Like after yeah. speaking to you, there is so many chemicals in a vape and it's mm-hmm. not just affecting your lungs, it's affecting everything else in your yeah. body, right? Yeah, ex- exactly. It affects mm-hmm. your whole system and including your wound healing, your microcirculation, your skin quality, all of that is affected by the vape and you're not going to see it necessarily straight away. But if that's something that you're doing over time, you'll notice that there are these problems. Right. And can you get capsular contracture like five years down the track? Yeah. So you can get capsular contracture at any time you have breast implants. And that's why I think it's the most important complication. That's why I always start with that because it's the one that never goes away. Right. 10 years down the track, 15 years you might be fine and then suddenly you've got it for some reason. Yeah. Mm. So moral of the story is don't smoke. <laughs> don't vape. <laughs> that's the take-home message. <laughs> yeah. Point one. Imagine if that, that's all the government needs to do is just instead of putting on like smoking packets like the guy like yeah. dying, just yeah, yeah. put on like breast <laughs> implants <laughs> and capsule <laughs> contraction. I bet that would halve the sales. I, I think so. I think people would put value, more value in that than seeing the gangrenous toe. That's they can't relate to that. Most yeah. people have not seen that and they're not going to see it. But Yellow fingernails, yellow teeth would get mm. me to stop smoking yeah. if I ever started. With capsule contracture, does that affect like your health in any way? No. So it's not a medical concern. And this is why when people do have it, let's say they come back to see me and I say, all right, we need to obviously do something about it. There's no medical urgency. So mm. it's not like we have to rush them to right. theater the only time we would try and speed up the process of getting that fixed is if there's pain. Mm. So obviously we want to relieve that pain. Is pain typically associated with capsular contracture? In a a grade four capsular contracture, then they get pain as well. Okay. And then can I ask as well, how does someone get rid of that? Do they just need to get it removed? Yeah. So fixing capsular contracture, you have to take the implant out, you cut out the whole capsule or as much of it as possible, and then you have to put a new implant in. The Mm. reason you put a new implant in is because the existing implant might have a biofilm around it, mm. which has is what's caused the capsule in the first place. So the biofilm theory is one theory where you've got a subclinical infection of bacteria around on the implant. And so this could have happened either at the time of surgery or it could have happened from dental work. We talked about this mm-hmm. before as well. So if you have a root canal, you've got a lot of bacteria in your mouth that are then being seeded into your bloodstream that makes its way to the capsule. And it doesn't cause a purulent infection, but it creates a biofilm containing bacteria and that creates more inflammation and that creates contracture. Mm -hmm. Two questions. (laughs) I feel like I'm going to have so many questions. (laughs) So if you, is that why you recommend not going to the dentist a certain time before and afterwards? Yep, that's it. Mm -hmm. What happens if you go to the dentist and have a root canal six months later? Are you still at a risk of getting capsular contracture or less likely? You are still at risk, which is why I recommend antibiotics for any major dental procedure. Mm -hmm. So antibiotics will help you not get it. Like prevent it. Second question is, if you have someone that comes in and they're a smoker, they get capsular contracture, why would you go and put implants in again if they're still smoking? Because they're potentially going to get – if you're – you if you have had capsular contraction once, yeah. are you more likely to get it a second time? Yeah, and that's the thing I tell patients as well. Once you've solved the problem, you are at higher risk of it happening again. And that mm. percentage of it happening increases quite a bit. There's mm. still debate about how much that does increase. But – it's significant that you're more likely to have it again. And so if you're still smoking, you're pretty much going to get it again. Guaranteed to get it again. And and I've had patients in the past where they've had it uh, fixed and then they've come back sometime later, had it again, and we've had the difficult discussion. It's probably better, you're probably just better off without the implant. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. potentially like having an explant with a fat transfer or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You just have to make sure that you're aware of that risk and you're happy to... Do it. Yeah. Yeah. And and so capsular contracture, I think it's not the end of the world. Yeah. But you do need to, there's things you can do to stop it or slow it down. And there's things that you can do to fix it. But you just yeah. need to understand that it is there. Yeah. It can happen. So smoking, antibiotics, not antibiotics, smoking, dental work, anything else? Yeah. So that dental work falls under the infection. Any kind so, of infection? Yeah. Any kind of usually an infection that is systemic, but any infection, you're at higher risk of 
capsular, capsular contracture. So the other thing that Does I mentioned. Does that include, sorry, viral and bacterial infections or just bacterial infections? Just bacterial infections, right. yeah. So the other thing that I mentioned is bleeding. So if a patient has a hematoma, a significant hematoma, oftentimes we'll go back and take them to the theater and wash it out because we have to for pain reasons and it's just very distorted. If there's a minor hematoma, usually it's left for the body to clean up, but this then makes them more, more susceptible, susceptible because they've got that irritation from the blood that's just sitting in the breast pocket. Mm. And then typically no one's at fault then? It's one of those things that- Sucks. Yeah, you, you can't really blame, you blame the surgery, yeah. <laughs> that it happened. And so it's one of those things you just have to deal with it. Yeah. Mm. What's risk number two? So the next thing that I go on to is a big topic and it's been a huge topic for probably the last four or five years, ALCL or BIA-ALCL, which is Breast Implant Associated Anaplastic Large Cell Lymphoma. Wow, that's a bit of a mouthful. A lot of words. A lot of words. So is that cancer? That's the cancer that everyone refers to when they say the cancer. That's the cancer they refer to. Is this to. separate to BII? BII is something completely okay, different. Okay, we'll touch on that. We'll talk about that. We'll I'm talk like, about that. Wait, are they the same thing? That's another okay, podcast. Okay. <laughs> ALCL is, as I said, the, the lymphoma. It's a cancer of the capsule. It's not a cancer of the breast tissue. Uh, I think that's one of the important things that we have to differentiate because people hear breast cancer and they think of it as your typical breast cancer, which is usually in the ducts or the breast glands. This is just in the capsule. There are risks for that. And one of those risks was very highly textured implants. So you had your macro texture and your polyurethane implants. They were the roughest surfaces. They were all very, they were used quite a lot, probably up until 2016, 17. And they had a higher incidence of ALCL. Why do you think that is? Well, some of the theory is, is, again, because the more texture you have, the more bacterial loading there is. Right. And so there's a few different things that need to come together for you to get this cancer. One of those things is the biofilm or bacterial loading. You have to have a genetic susceptibility to it. So, again, multifactorial. There's not mm -hmm. one thing that causes it. Yeah. And this is not just different things that cause it, but all of those things have to yes. meet together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so rare. Like when I'm talking about a high risk for instance, the Allergan Natrell implants that were recalled back in 2019, I think one in 3,000 approximately was the risk. Yeah. And that's considered high. I was about to say, that sounds pretty high to me. <laughs> but then if you think about your traditional breast cancer that most people talk about. That's like yeah. one in three, right? One in eight. One in eight. Yeah. When True. you compare the numbers relatively, it's less common. And of course it is because we don't see ALCL all the time. Yes. But it's higher than it should be. Yeah. And so nowadays what is acceptable, what the TGA is accepted from a risk point of view is one in 30,000. And that's a maximum risk with the micro textured implants that are on the market in Australia. You do have other textures like nano textured and smooth. They have a zero risk. Right. But again. So have, there's absolutely no risk of getting the really long word with the smooth implants. That's right. And I have to say there's been no association up to this point right. yes. because especially with the nanotexture because they've been on the market for maybe 12 years, yeah. which is you know not a long time compared to the smooth shell, which has yeah. been around since the 1960s. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You were talking oh, about yeah, the so, third risk. So the, the other risks of ALCL, as I said, quite debatable in terms of uh, related to capsular contracture and that it might be the inflammation, it might be bleeding. So anything that's going to increase your level of inflammation yeah. is going to set that off, set yeah. the process mm -hmm. off. Once you remove the capsule, is that cancer gone or does that cancer spread to become syst systematic? Systemic. <laughs> so yeah, like any cancer, it can spread through the system. And that's the longer you leave it, the more likely that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So how this cancer typically presents is between five to 10 years, some say seven to 14 years, there's a few different ranges, but you're going to see a swelling in your breast, right. which is seroma fluid. Yeah. Now a seroma can happen without cancer and people that get a seroma don't automatically think you've got cancer, but that's one of the signs and that's what's going to prompt you to go get it investigated. Mm. Let's say you wake up one day and your breast is swollen. You go have an ultrasound and they take some of the fluid out and they test it for this cancer. That's a standard test now with seromas. And they're going to tell you if you have it. You get it tested by a mammogram or ultrasound? 
typically not. not so, so it has to be like a... Yeah, so it, you're going to see the cells in the seroma, whereas, and this is early on. Obviously, yeah. if you wait long enough, there It'll might present, be a mass yeah. there that you yeah. can see. Oh, gosh. Yeah, once it's diagnosed, if you do something about it quickly, then that's it. You just need to take out the implant and the capsule, and that's done on block. You've probably heard that term yeah. because everyone's asking for that. Yeah. So you only ever need to do an on block capsulectomy with this cancer right. where it all comes out at the same time. Yeah. Mm. Whereas with capsular contracture, when you're taking out the capsule, you can take the implant out and then cut the capsule out yeah. separately. Um, and that's because there's a higher risk of doing an on-block, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So when you do an on-block capsulectomy, oftentimes that capsule stuck right down to your ribs. Yeah. And under that ribs are your... Lungs? Yeah. Oh my God, stop huh? it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm and, a doctor. Huh? Yeah, oh. so you can actually, <laughs> if, <laughs> so if you're trying to get this capsule out and it's unnecessary, you're putting the patient yeah. at risk because you can get into the lungs, you can get into the heart. It's not where I want to be. Mm-mm. For sure. Yeah. Mm. Cool. So that's ALCL. That's the second thing. And so when I'm t- in consult talking about ALCL, it's usually around implant choice because patients just need to understand that yeah. certain implants have higher risk of it. And they need to know that these implants also are beneficial in some ways. And so yeah. it's about balancing all those risks. Yeah. Mm. And being, in, and yeah, and being yeah. informed, I think, as well. Yeah, exactly. It's not about fear mongering. Some people do say, you know what, I'm, I don't want any chance of cancer whatsoever. And so they'll choose the smooth implant. Yeah. Mm. Well, what's number three? Number three, displacement. Okay. So, is that what you call like lateral displacement and things like that? Yeah. So displacement covers a lot of different things. And does it include like bottoming out? Is that a yeah, form of displacement? That is a form of displacement. Yeah. So when I talk about it, basically in, in general, displacement is any movement of the implant out of its position. Yeah. So yeah, the first thing you said, lateral displacement is pretty common, right? They're going east, west. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And do you know why that is? Because we lay on our backs. Yeah. And so a natural breast <laughs> tends to fall to is your because of the muscle too? Side. And also be? the muscle, yeah. yeah. So if they're under the muscle or if they're dual plane, then you've got the pressure from that pec muscle mm. Why do our boobs out. go to the side? Gravity. Oh. <laughs> I, Let's talk about gravity a little bit. <laughs> so, so displacement, talk about lateral displacement, which is probably the most common. And then you've got inferior displacement, which is going down, and that's bottoming out. And so bottoming out and double bubble both kind of fall into this category to a certain degree. You can actually have superior displacement as well. Which what does is, that mean? Moves they up. go up. So How are they going up? The muscle grabs it and contracts and pulls it up. Right. Oh, wow. Can you just push your muscle back down and pop it back in? <laughs> yeah, you oh. can. Oh. And so that's why we have a massage protocol when uh, the implant's sitting high. Yeah. That's exactly what that is. Right. right. That's the easiest one to fix early on. So you also have some patients that wear a strap, a compression strap on the to top of the breast. And yeah, right. that puts yep. constant pressure on there. So what do you feel is most common? East and west or down below? Or up high? Or up high? <laughs> up high, definitely not. Yeah. So I'd say it comes down to either the lateral or inferior displacement. Yeah. And is this because of muscles? Is this because of something that you've done as a surgeon? Or is this something that happens from a patient? Naturally. You know what I'm going to say? multifactorial (laughs) it's multifactorial yeah one of the things that i've found in my time operating is so the lateral displacement i want to stop that right how do i stop that so i'm focusing on one problem when i do my surgery i don't dissect i I basically under dissect my pocket and i've had surgeons come and ask me how do you get a close cleavage and i say it's because i'm keeping this fixation point so that it holds the implants Mm. in because if you dissect your cleavage to where you want it to be and then you dissect out here as well to make room for the implant it's going to preferentially go that way because there's nothing stopping it but if you make your cleavage where you want it to be and then you stop your dissection well before you want it to end that implant's constantly going to be putting pressure on here so it's going to push itself out but it's also going to stay here yeah that's one thing so lateral displacement can be surgical it can also be patient related so let's say i've done all my things everything's fine and my patient decides to do a lot of a heavy chest workout that pec is constantly contracting and when the pec contracts it's pushing the implants out right so no matter what i've done to stop it here 
it's going to push against that. It's yeah. going to dissect through the tissue yeah. and create its own way. So do you feel like after you have surgery, like if you're going to the gym all the time and you're doing like, I don't go to the gym, so I don't know what these movements are called, <laughs> but a lot of chest stuff. Yeah. Does that mean you can really never go back to the way you used to train? You should always, if you want your implants to be at the best that they can, you should tailor your workouts to your new boobs. That's right. Yeah. Right. So I would mm. probably dial it back on the chest. direct chest workouts. Yeah. So you can do total body workouts that still involve the chest, but if you're doing bench presses, heavy yeah. bench press or chest press, I can't even you wanna... lift the bloody bar. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I say to, again, this is a difficult conversation with someone who's a bodybuilder. Yes. Mm. I say, you're going to have to dial back that activity or are you as competitive as you used to be? Are you ready to you know, dial it down. give that yeah. back? Yeah. yeah. What so, else? In terms of workout. No, like obviously we know like chest and things like yeah. that. What else can, can cause, cause that? It? That's the main thing. So pe ah. the pec is the main contributor to Going lateral, this way. lateral yeah. displacement. Yeah. yeah. And then gravity, of course, as yes. well. So that's a sleeping. lot of people forget that after you have your boobs done, and I'm sure if I was a patient, I would also forget this, that your boobs aren't going to be perfect forever and that things still happen, i.e. if you sleep on your stomach, your boobs are going to go that way. If you're getting massages all the time, they're going to go that way. If you're not wearing your post-up bra, for me, for example, I don't have my boobs done, but they don't sit on top of my chest. As I get older, they start to fall down, as I've been told. Karen. Wow, Karen. Yeah. So I, I just think people forget once they have their boobs done, that all still happens. Yeah. Still happens. Life still happens, unfortunately. Exactly. exactly. And people ask, why can't I sleep without a bra? And it's because of that. Because mm. you're lying on your back, for instance. If you're a back sleeper, you've got no bra on. There's still resting tone in that pec, even if you're not contracting it. And... As you said, inside. naturally your breasts are going to go that way. Yeah. And it's going to go with that. <laughs> so they're just going to go sideways. So that's it. Yeah, go, yeah. So yeah, they're going to go sideways. Yeah. Yeah. Downwards. I feel like I think this is probably one of the most common. The one, like I'm in a quite a few Facebook groups yeah. and everyone is always concerned if their implants are bottoming out or their boobs are starting to sag, especially those who get bigger implants. I feel without the lift, yeah. for example, or if, I guess this is, again, multifactorial. People gain weight and things like that. Mm. Things start going downwards. Yep. So with inferior displacement, we have to differentiate between the implants coming down and the breasts coming down. And I mm. think this is probably one of the biggest misconceptions as well, where they say, my breasts have dropped. And referring, or they say, my implants have dropped. And then when you see them, the implants are fine. They're sitting exactly where they should be, yeah. but the natural breast tissue has come down. And so you get that waterfall ptosis. Is that Snoopy? That's Snoopy, yeah, Snoopy. same thing. <laughs> and that's because of? So that's a lot of different factors. So um, I think we should come back to that in a second. Uh, okay. But first I wanna talk about implants down. going down. So what happens there with bottoming out is the implant slides beyond where the incision is. So below the breast crease, yep. natural breast creases. Yep. Yeah. Either below the natural crease or below the crease that's been made. Because right. sometimes you have to actually make your incision below the right. anatomical crease. Yeah. So wherever the incision is, wherever that scar is, if the implant's falling down significantly below that line and you see the scar start to rise up on the breast, that's bottoming out. Right. Yeah. So this can be caused from a number of reasons. So essentially it's loss of support of the crease. Now, most surgeons, and it's gonna vary with everyone because some people do internal bra sutures, some people don't do anything and they just rely on the bra to hold the implants in. And once that heals, then it'll hold. But if for those people, it's actually much higher chance of it happening because any movement they have, right. any time they take their bra off, they're at higher risk of that implant just sliding down. Again, because of gravity. Mm. But bottoming out in general is just loss of that support. And so usually, I mean, I- Is I, that surgeon error or is that patient error of everything? I think it's everything. I wouldn't yeah. say there's, there's, there's one no error. There's no one to blame, yeah. Because I've had patients who've had bottoming out and I do an internal bra on everyone. Yes. So mm. that- Can it be like from patients not like going to the gym and bouncing up and down? Like not about like 
if they're doing a gym workout and like running on the treadmill, you know how you kind of bounce yep. and it's yep. like that pressure's falling on that yep. crease. Like, is it not wearing your bra? Is it just a lot of different things as yeah. well? So, so everything you've just said can contribute to that. Yeah. And with the sutures that I put in to hold that in place, they can pull through. Obviously, immediately after surgery, everything's delicate. And so if you do anything too early before your body's healed, it's going to, it's going to give way. Yeah. I'm just like learning a lot. <laughs> me, I'm just like, wow, well, I didn't know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just need to take a break. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's inferior displacement of the implants. Now I talked about breast descent and so that can happen with age or if you have very large breasts that are heavy, gravity is going to pull them down. And what about weight gain and weight loss as well? Is that absolutely. potentially yeah. factors? Both of those things. So if you gain weight and that weight goes into your natural breast tissue, gravity. Hmm. If you lose weight and you lose fat and volume out of the natural breast tissue, skin. you've got skin yeah. and then gravity. Yeah. So both of those things can contribute. Hmm. So any significant weight fluctuations, we try to encourage patients to have a constant yeah, stable weight yeah before they have surgery to mm. prevent this things happen yeah especially after having kids the breast changes a lot so if the bottoming out happens how do they fix that do they just need new stitches do they have to be open close again so bottoming out the only way to fix it is with surgery mm. and so that's going back in usually when they've bottomed out the top of the pocket has started to close down as well oh. so you have got to go in take the implants out open this up again Wow. to create room and then put the implant back in, re-suture down here. And so at that point, when you're correcting bottoming out, you've got the internal bra sutures. You also have the existing capsule you can use as a, like a hammock. So there's a, oh. a technique called a hammock capsulography where you take bits of the capsule and you fold it on itself and create a, a support. That is so smart. So what can patients do to like try and help prevent these things happening? Obviously being at their ideal weight and not fluctuating too much, yep. wearing their post-op bra. Yep. I know a lot of surgeons, including yourself, say wear your post-op bra in three months or whatever, mm. and then you can go on to other bras, but it's always best to wear a supportive bra at nighttime yep. or during the day as much as you can. Don't yep. just freestyle it. Exactly. Yeah. So as much as possible, follow the rules, be yeah. conservative because everyone else heals at a different rate. That three month might not cover every single patient. Yeah. And then exercise as well is, I guess, just not. Yeah. I, I going, don't know. It's just, it, it's hard. Be like, sensible. Yeah, is just my yeah. advice. Yeah. yeah. But I don't feel like me included aren't that sensible. Like what about skydiving and things like that? Yeah. Is that good? Can that potentially affect implants or car accidents car accidents definitely mm. can obviously you're gonna have a big impact if there's airbags involved your seat belts so that can and that sort of speed can displace your implant can rupture the implant potentially skydiving is not as much of a worry to me because when you think about the muscles that are involved in skydiving once you've passed that point that three month or the six month mark you can stretch those yeah the pecs and that's it you're holding this position and when you pull the parachute, the weight yeah. gets caught in your hips yeah. right, and your shoulders. Okay. Have cool. you skydived before? No, and I will never do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> we should no. do it for beauty and We should. Film it. No should. way. No. One of my clients actually went skydiving today and I was like, hmm. Good on her because I would not. <laughs> it's just not – I don't like flying. Yeah. Imagine me trying to get Jump out of a plane. Shaky little plane. Yeah. Someone's pushed me out. I'm scared. Have you heard of the girl? Her name's Emma. And her parachute didn't open. It got caught around her parachute person's Whoa. neck. He passed out. Oh. They hit the ground. Bang. She was like a paraplegic for a little bit, but yeah. now she's walking again. Wow. They fell. Yeah. That's crazy. Absolutely not. No, thank because you. Because I, you would be terrified because you go up in the little plane and when I went, they opened the door and I'm sitting there, no seatbelt. I'm just sitting in the plane. They opened the door. I didn't have a parachute on yet. Oh my God. <laughs> and then I had Whoa. to go and get connected up to the instructor. While so, the door was open. While the door was open. You guys go. I'll be at the bottom. I'm like, hey, guys. <laughs> filming from the I, I'll be filming for the podcast. Yeah. And then I, I went with my friends and I was the first one to go. And they said that was terrifying for them because I went out and they said I just disappeared. I was gone. <laughs> Ian's oh gone. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> but wow. it was fun. It was it was fantastic. For two weeks after. You I felt just, high. Like on a high. Yeah. I just Well, I just didn't mm. feel like anything else could compare to that. Mm, that's cool. Mm. Love that. Okay. What's the next topic? 
Are we finished with displacement? Yeah, I think so. Mm. Okay, perfect. Those are the three main things, capsular contracture, ALCL, and displacement that I talk about when it comes to implant-specific risks. And those are the criteria that we use when we're choosing the implant. So those are the main things. Now, when it comes to into general risks of surgery, a lot of this is, again, just any surgery, and some of it is breast surgery only. First one, bleeding. Wait, you bleed? I'm kidding. <laughs> what? <laughs> and do you know what? It's funny. We joke about it, but I think people don't understand that there is blood. I have to cut <laughs> yeah. into you <laughs> to do the surgery. What? So the thing that they care about is the appearance afterwards. So if you have bruising, that's very common with mastopexies. And it's hard to explain why it's common because th there's so much more dissecting that goes on in those surgeries than in a straightforward breast augmentation. Can you guys imagine, sorry, mm. if I got breast surgery, how badly I would bruise. Like you poke me and I am bruised like no tomorrow. Imagine if I got a lift. I would be mm, black would, like, and blue. swell as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, so I guess with bleeding, you have to understand that it can happen. Certainly bruising is common and when it comes to hematoma. So that's the only time that you really have an emergency where you need to take someone back to yeah. the theater. Not only because that can affect their breast implant outcome, but because they may still be bleeding. Right, like and an so, internal yeah. bleed. That's right, yeah. So if you think it stopped itself, which often it does just because of tamponade, so it's gonna the pressure in there is gonna stop that blood vessel. Let's say I go back in and I'm, I'm washing that out. If I find a little artery that's still bleeding, you just cauterize it? Yeah, mm. that's it. That's all it takes. Interesting. So that's bleeding. Infection, we've touched on a few times now mm. with capsular contracture risk, but I think we need to talk about surgical site infection and deep pocket infection. Yeah. Yes. I was also going to touch on maybe like after you've obviously come in for your week one, two, three dressing changes or however many you do with your GP, what you do from week three, you're still at risk of infection. Yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. Like yeah. I've had friends who have come to you, have gone to other surgeons, et cetera, and I look at the way that they treat their incisions from like week three when it's still a wound and I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mm, I, I would say in general, you're not out of the woods until after you're cleared at that six-week appointment. Yeah. Yeah. And even then. Yeah. If, if you've had a, a mastopexy, for instance, sometimes that wound healing is a little bit delayed, so it might go on a bit longer. Than yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. Tell us about infections. So where do I begin? <laughs> <laughs> so everyone gets antibiotics at the time of surgery. So when you're put under by the anesthetist, you get given a dose of IV antibiotics and then five days of oral antibiotics afterwards. And usually that's enough to prevent any infections. There's actually been some clinical studies that show the antibiotics, the oral antibiotics afterwards do nothing. Oh, so why do you give it to them? Just to do everything. What do you yeah. mean it does nothing? So there's no added benefit. Uh. Like they've done some trials. It's actually, it ends up being more important later on. Like from like week two and yeah. three or something like yeah. that. So there's that, the five days, which is most people don't need anything after that. If people throughout their dressing change journey, it's looking a little bit red or tender, then we might start them on more antibiotics. So you might end up having a couple courses of antibiotics over the healing period, over that six weeks. Yeah. yeah. I was just <laughs> going to talk about how important it is to like when you're doing your dressing changes at home, for example. Yeah. I want to talk about that because yeah, I yeah. feel like people need to know about yeah. that. Yeah. So I, I think everyone has a different protocol with how they handle the patients post-op. And so what we've typically done is dressing changes for the first three weeks. And that's either with us in the clinic or with the local GP, depending on where the patient's from. After that, we go on to patients doing their own wound care or dressing care. And things are usually pretty closed at that stage, but there's still care that needs to be taken. As in, if you're changing your dressings, you don't want to have grubby fingers and doing things without gloves and mm. touching the wound. So there's a lot of care that needs to be taken in home care as well. So it's not just on the practitioner. Yes. Yeah. I, know, think I think after week three, people become a little bit complacent. Yeah. And I've noticed just, for example, with my friends, when they've done their dressing changes at home after they've gone and seen their surgeon for their boobs, they're not washing their hands. Yep. 
they're even like when they're at work, like they're getting super hot, super sweaty, super dirty. I think Mm. that is massive. And I also know one of my friends was swimming in a spa bath at week three. Oh my God. Yeah. And it was approved by her surgeon, which is fine. because showering, you have to be really careful. Yeah, Yeah. But even like a spa, think about like when you're pregnant, you're not even supposed to be in a spa when you're pregnant or if you have any kind of opening, like I've had cellulitis quite a few times and they were like, do not go in a spa Mm. bath because it's so dirty. dirty. So I'm thinking if you're week three, breast surgery i just wouldn't risk it no we certainly haven't cleared them for that yeah no i'm not talking about <laughs> i'm just talking oh, about right. my friends that have been to other surgeons and that's what they're yeah. which is totally fine if that's their protocol but i just think you as a patient sometimes need to take responsibility all the time all the time everyone yeah, yeah. everyone has to take some responsibility yeah. i think people get like really excited about mm. their results because sure. i i've seen some people for example on my instagram who like i know that have just gotten breast surgery and they're like going out in bikinis yeah. at a creek. Yeah, at like I saw week one of my friends go to yeah. Bali at week two and they were swimming in a Balinese pool. Like, that's fine, but whatever. <laughs> Dancing, getting sweaty, having alcohol poured all over their yeah. boobs. And I'm like, oh my goodness. What sort of videos are you watching? Yeah, it sounds <laughs> weird. But this is on Instagram. Right. Yeah. I just am like, oh, like I would hate, like your boobs look so good. I would hate for something to happen to you. So there's a lot of self-care I think that needs to be emphasized. Yeah. And just hygiene. Like, come on, people. (laughs) In terms of showering, can you get, when can you get your boobs wet? Are you best to not get them wet for six weeks and just have them cleaned at your dressing changes and turn your back to the shower? Like, how do you stop having an infection at home? Preventing infections at home, like specifically with showering, it's hard because you don't want to disrupt a patient's lifestyle. And something like showering, it's an everyday thing. You don't want them to have to think about that for six weeks because that's a long time to amend your showering habits. But in my mm. opinion, that's such a small time. It like, is, it yeah. is relatively. But yeah, I guess it's about finding that balance. Balance, for sure. And I guess once the wounds superficially closed, they should be fine to shower. But then it's about showering, drying it, cleaning it, and dressing it again. So... Usually I say if the if they're coming in every week for a dressing change, they're not going to have their wound exposed for at least three weeks. Yeah. And then after that, it should be okay. Okay. Anything else? I else? think we're going to have to cut it here yeah. and yeah. finish. There is so much that we could talk about. Yeah. 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 So was, we're not even halfway through the, the general yeah. I hope season so. three breast topics would just go for like just season three and then season four we'll talk about anything. But I reckon breast is going to be like I think anytime forever. I have a topic, we're just – It's just boobs. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Let's wrap it up. Have you got any last words to say? Do you want to do Broken Bougie Property Edition? <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to do Broken Bougie Product Division. Mm-hmm. Edition. Why did I say division? Edition. <laughs> but I also want to talk about property. So I'm a single gal. I would say I'm probably like, what would you say my pay rate is? I middle cannot class? divulge that information on the podcast. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Soon to be zero dollars. Yeah. You're middle class. I would say middle class. I would say low to middle class because the way life is going and my lifestyle, <laughs> can't afford it. But anyways, there, I was complaining to Ian that there's no way that I am going to buy a house. Ever. Ever. Let alone being a single girl that buys a house. And he goes, yeah, that's because you young people all want to live close to the city. And I'm like, yeah, I do want to live close to the city. But still, if you can get me an affordable house a little bit out, I would. Mm. Goes, Hang on, what's a little bit out before we continue this? I'm talking 15 minutes out. You're obviously talking an hour <laughs> out. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. So he starts going, he goes, yeah, let me prove you wrong. I'm going to show you some houses. And I'm like, yeah, prove me wrong. He starts Googling houses. Budget's 250000 because that's what he thinks I can get approved for. I wouldn't yeah. get approved for that, but whatever. <laughs> Anyways, he's Googling, can't find anything, but he, he sends me a few. One's in a nursing home, retirement village. <laughs> One's for the house, but it doesn't include the land. He got excited about that. I did. I did. Yeah. So like, that oh that was my mistake. But retirement <laughs> community, it was not a nursing home. Okay. But I'm pretty <laughs> so sure. Different. I'm pretty 50 plus. I mean, I could almost live there. You could. I couldn't. I'm like halfway to that. <laughs> and then, yeah, the one with the house, he goes, oh my God, look at this. First of all, it was so run down. Second of all, I'm like, are you sure? And then I'm looking, I'm like, that's just for the house only. The that was 99000 <laughs> That's what. 
<laughs> the third one he shows me, he's like, it's this house and land. I, he thinks it is. That was what, how much? 350? Yeah, so he I had to, to increase his price because house and land. he was like, I can't find any. I was like, yeah, I didn't <laughs> think he could. Then he shows me this house and land. It's like 350. It's an hour away from the city. I don't believe it's house and land because- Rockley is not an hour away. No, I'm talking about the other one. I don't think we were ever that far out. And we were. <laughs> and anyways, I'm like, how can this house be 300,000, but every other house in the suburbs about a million? I'm like, that does not include the land. That is just house. Oh, that's the, that's, that was actually the first one. That was 110,000 and that said house and land packet. It wasn't because every other house in that suburb was a million dollars. Nearly. No, that doesn't 000. sound right. Well- 110,000 for house and land. New build. You cannot get a new build. In a, for a, in a community. No, you can't. The new builds are 400,000 upwards. Well, agree to disagree. We Okay. <laughs> anyway, moral of the story. When I buy you that house, I'm going to be like, Kayla, look. <laughs> Our version of Broken Bougie is very different on house edition too, as well as product edition. Well, what, what do you think is a, a cheap house? I would say $400,000 is uh. cheap. You would say a million dollars is cheap. I think the average house price now is 1.5. Well, I think it's three, but it's really probably 1.5. And I can't afford anything above 100,000. So <laughs> cool. I can live in a tent in your backyard. <laughs> Thoughts? For 250,000. <laughs> <laughs> no, free. Land only. <laughs> yeah, land only. House Do only. I, am I providing the tent? Yeah, obviously. Bring your own if tent. I'm paying two hundred fifty thousand dollars, oh want... yeah, I'll buy. You can have two tents. You can have a two bedroom, <laughs> two Do bedroom I get to tent. Use the kitchen facilities. We'll talk about that. All right. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> let's bring it into Broken Bougie Product Edition. Okay. Okay. Have we spoken about? I know we spoke about on the hair episode with um, Shab Kaspara yep. about the Evolus, but have we recommended a product? I don't no. think we have. No. Okay, guys, shut the front door. Sit down, take a seat, buy it. The Avolus Treatment Scalp Oil. I forgot the name of the product. I think it's $45. You can get a 20% discount code with Beauty Uncut 20, which probably brings it down to $30. So I'm going to claim this as my broke product. Yep. It's so good. It is good. It is really good. I haven't met someone who hasn't bought it that didn't love it. Mm. And I, as cut my hair, my hair was falling out. My hair is growing. It looks strong. I'm happy. It does. It looks thicker. Yeah. yeah. I can feel it as well. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah. Bougie. Can you guys do your broke? I'm like broke and bougie at the same time. Can you guys do your broke product while I think of a bougie product that I. I, I didn't know we were doing broke and yeah. bougie. So. Oh, <laughs> did you guys not? No. I thought that was our forever segment. I thought. Oh, we is it? Yeah, I thought last time. I think time. we still haven't figured this out. Oh, I thought we scrapped it. And oh, now I thought we were doing hot or not. Oh, my God. I thought last episode we decided to scratch it because we were mm. like, we all have the same opinion about things. All right. So we're doing broke. We're yeah. still doing broke. Broke. Yeah. Okay. All right. Your turn, Nene. Okay. My broke product is the, oh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Schwarzkopf. 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 Yeah. Got to be Farewell Flyaways Touch-Up. What's it called? Touch-Up Brush. Yeah. <laughs> I've been using it for my hair and also my eyebrows. Ooh. I don't know if it really keeps them in place, but it's working for me now and I can use it on my brows and my hair and I just put it in my bag and I can use it whenever I want. It's really good for the hair though. It's It doesn't feel like crispy. crispy. It feels just like you put like a nice oil or something in your hair. So, so that's what mine. actually is it? Is it? <laughs> it looks like it's, it looks like a mascara oh. wand and you like brush it through your hair Wheel for your flyaways. Fly Interesting. Yeah. Is that in the price range of our budget? You guys it can't is. be trusted. So. Twelve dollars and forty cents. <gasps> That's now you're proud of me. <laughs> That's better than me. <laughs> All right, so my broke product is the Hada Labo. What's it called? Uh, <laughs> it's like the hydrating serum, similar to what I spoke about last week, but it's the concentrated version. It's the one so for the old people. Older people, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. a hyaluronic acid serum. That's right. So mm. I've been using this for what a little over. Probably like two or three months now. Mm. Has it been that long? Yeah. I think it has yeah. been, yeah. 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 But I put that on before any of my serums or anything else. And it really, it makes my skin texture feel really good for when I do put the serums on. So it's like the first thing I put on after I wash my face. And 
it just makes everything really smooth. Yeah. I don't know. How I think to it also it. helps your products to penetrate deeper mm. into the skin as well. Yeah. It's been a great product. I'll definitely keep using it. It's $36 usually, but you can usually find it on sale for $30. So you're within the budget. Just. Just. I, th- Very I, th- good. I think that's actually a little over what you originally said. Oh, well, I'm changing my mind because I think mine's forty-five, but whatever. <laughs> my bougie product of the week is actually a perfume. I am loving Dior Hypnotic Poison. Have you guys smelt it? It's, smelt have you worn it. it? Yeah. It's so nice. It's more of like a warmer winter scent, but still got that vanillary. It almost smells sexy. I feel like when I wear it, I feel like guys go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No one does that. <laughs> no one does that. But it actually smells really good. That's nice. I'm going to have to have a sniff of me. I'll wear it whiff. tomorrow and you can uh, sniff me up. My bougie. I don't know if I've mentioned my lip oil i don't even know what you're talking about the dior lip oil we talked you'd mentioned it when you bought it but you haven't talked about okay, it so. that's my favorite of the week i've whipped it back out and i've started using it again and it's so good and everywhere's usually sold out and i realize anyone on the gold coast rabina david jones has it and they have 17 Perfect. if you're wanting to get some go there i'm just gonna chime in there the dior lip oil is so good it actually hydrates my lips. I don't have it on right now. It but. makes like it's the, the shine. It makes you like if I saw someone wear it, I reckon I could point who's wearing it. Yeah. The yeah. lip applicator, I could honestly go to bed and hug it at night. Mm. It's so soft and like thick and furry. And I just love the feeling of it. Yeah. Like it, and it smells nice. It's just everything good. It's great. You should try it, Ian. Maybe I will. Yeah, yeah we sold it. I'm afraid so of Like next happen. week he's going to come into work with glossy lips. I'm <laughs> like, like oh. were you influenced by you young I think cut? I have to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys both mentioned Dior products as your Oh, my God. Bougie. Should you go oh. Dior so as well? So I feel like I have to go Dior okay. because I do have a Dior product and it is only one of two colognes that I wear now. Mm. I have a big collection of fragrances, but I only ever wear two. Which one? The one I'm talking about is the Dior Sauvage. Oh, it's yeah. the one that, that Johnny yeah. Depp is, he just signed a $30 million deal for that. Like I think. Oh my God. But so that's one. The other one's the Louis Vuitton. I do love that. Yeah. Different qualities. So the Louis Vuitton is more, I guess, summery and light. And the Dior is a bit of a heavier. Would you wear it like nighttime? Like you're in a suit, yeah. you're going to an event kind of vibe? Yeah. 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 Love cool. That. Oh my God. We that was Dior. really good. I think that was one of our best. There was no argument about. Yeah. <laughs> What's true? Why it's there not? was no argument because my broke product was a little bit more expensive. <laughs> yeah. So I had to like pipe down for this one. Well, thanks for that. That's okay. <laughs> anyway, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions that you want to ask Dr. Chinsey about breasts, just shoot them through and we'll answer them in one of our other podcasts. Make sure to follow us on our socials or the information will be in the description and make sure to leave us a five-star review and we will see you in our next podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.